Hi, I'm Deb Crow, and I want to welcome you to Season 3 of Imperfect, the Heart-Centered Leadership Podcast. This is a podcast where we connect, learn, and laugh together with authentic and courageous leaders from all over the globe. You will learn from leaders you haven't even met yet. You will gain new tools to add to your leadership toolkit. Leadership belongs to all of us. It's not measured by stature or title. So please pull up a chair and listen in. This is the Heart Centered Leadership Podcast. It continues to amaze me the amount of people in the world who want to be leaders, are accidental leaders or have really embraced leadership. And today I wanna introduce you to Susan Drum. She is a CEO and a leadership coach. And she says that change can be scary or it could be an opportunity. The enlightened leader capitalizes on opportunities in a way that serves humanity. Susan's mission is to help visionary leaders find their path to enlightened leadership their unique leadership growth path, and the blind spots that could get in the way. Sometimes that means making a radical necessary change that other might view as, as she says, in quotes, crazy. And this happened to her when she was 30. So pull up a chair and welcome to the show because this is going to be an interesting podcast on heart-centered leadership, enlightened leadership, And sometimes taking the path less traveled is the one that you're really supposed to take. So without further ado, Susan Drum, welcome to the show. Thank you so much. Great to be here with you. Well, fellow leadership coach and CEO of my own company, I am so intrigued by your story. And even though I do a short little bio on people, I change things up in season three because Nobody can tell your story better than you. So in the intro, I alluded to you taking the path less traveled and you were in quotes called crazy by family, friends and colleagues. So share with our listeners, we are now in 65 countries, by the way, share with our listeners what you decided to do, when you decided to do it and why. Yeah. So I have a pretty eclectic background when people look at my background. I went to law school and at Harvard and decided not to practice law. So that alone was sort of bucking the trend. And I could see very early on that I did not want to practice law, that I loved the study of law, but the practice was a very different experience and I was not going to enjoy that. But I had huge loan debt and given that, and this is back in the mid nineties, right? A hundred thousand dollars in loan debt. I was going to have to find something. So I got into consulting. I still took the bar in case I ever wanted to go back into law um, in New York. But what I found was that law taught me a very important skill. And each of the things I'm going to tell you taught me an important skill that I use now. So law is very much about learning how to make distinctions And the distinction is usually applied to case law. How do you make distinction from one case to the next? What are the nuances? How how is this thing not like the other? And I use the same thing now, but with mindset. 
and really listening for the nuances and, and the differences. So I got that from law, went into consulting and strategy consulting at BCG and really got my feet wet around designing strategies that work for companies for growth went to NBC television and did Six Sigma there under GE, who used to own NBC, their program and learned how to do statistical analysis on the variation of processes, if you can believe it. But what I learned in that is that even the un, seemingly unmeasurable is measurable in some way. And because here I am in an entertainment company trying to apply these methodologies that were traditionally used in manufacturing. So all of this comes together, but what I really experienced was like along the way, not the greatest leadership. And I was burnt out at 30, which was kind of ridiculous, but I, I did not want to, I, I thought, I don't know what I want to do. So I'm going to take a break. And I, I had the good fortune that my husband at the time moved to London and I got to join him and we had a little stipend that covered part of my salary. So I decided to go to drama school. So I got a master's in the London Academy of Music and Dramatic Art. And that was the most transformative of everything and really a foundation for what I do in leadership development because learning to be an actor, you start to get very clear on that inner critic, that voice inside your head and how you get a handle on that because as an actor, you better. Also how you connect authentically to people um, and how to build a deeper sense of empathy. And I kept thinking, God, there's got to be a way to use this in business. And this was more than 20 years ago at this point. So I didn't even know leadership consulting and coaching existed, but that's really how I got into the field. Um, I had an interest in that side of, and I started researching companies and worked for a boutique leadership development consulting firm, and then went out on my own about 18 years ago, and I've been doing it ever since. One of the things that I love in what you just described, I love your background. I, I join you in having an eclectic background, and I love that we pack up so many transferable skills and all those little transitions. And the magic is finding why you're in that transition like you did and, and doing your master's in drama and, and people looking at you going, what are you doing? But you were following your heart. You were following your intuition. And I love that you were like, okay, how can I bring this all into leadership? So my first leadership question is about your new book, The Leader's Playlist. Congratulations. Thank you. I'm excited that it's an intersection of music and neuroscience. Neuroscience is my background. And I love the subtitle, Unleash the Power of Music and Neuroscience to Transform Your Leadership and Your Life. So my question is, explain the process of the connection that you allude to about childhood wounds and how they can show up in people and really have a foundation in their leadership. So good, Susan. I can't wait to hear you answer this. Yes. Well, again, seeing so many leaders react to situations, maybe the same situation in very different ways. What I started to see was the patterning because I'd be coaching them that how they were reacting actually didn't really have much to do with what was occurring now. It felt like it, but it had to do, there was linkages back to triggers and wounds that we developed in childhood. And so how they would show up would be a direct reflection of that. 
And we could do all that we wanted to try to shift in the moment. But if we couldn't see the linkages and the patterning and the worldview perspective that those early experiences created in them, then, you know, we we weren't going to be able to make the changes that we did. So the book has two key premises to it. One is that where you're bumping your head up against a ceiling in your work or life has its roots in your childhood experiences, in your childhood wounds. But I knew I couldn't go write out that and be like, this is a book about your childhood wounds wounds and how they show up today, right? So there's another piece that's, and we can actually use the literal use of music to shift some of that patterning. And so I think it's a unique exploration on the problem and certainly a unique take on the solution. (laughs) Well, I think it's brilliant. And I know that uh, as an author, you probably poured in so much of that eclectic background. And I remember when I was studying neuroscience, learning that even, you know, when young infants hear music, how it lights up all five lobes of the brain. And and you are also giving proceeds, which I'm I'm dying to hear this answer, to the Alice Cooper Foundation. So super fan or where did that come from? Um, it came from because it's a local charity. I'm in Scottsdale, Arizona, so to Phoenix. And what I really appreciate about the charity is providing artistic expression for teens, particularly at risk uh, youth to be able to express themselves through creativity versus potentially taking some darker paths. And uh, I wanted to support it in that way. Yeah. Well, and what, and, and there's your philanthropy coming off your book, which is also an intersection of neuroscience and music. That's beautiful. Okay. My second question has permanent residency on the show. We've, we've interviewed over 200 leaders and everybody has answered this question. Share with us what imperfections Susan brings to her heart-centered leadership. Oh, so good. Well, one of the things that I feel like my life's journey is on is about understanding my self-worth and confidence. There are times where I feel so confident and good and other times where I do not. And understanding why does that happen? Why can't I feel confident all the time? But I guess what I've learned is the times that I'm feeling not so sure of myself, the underlying gift under that is I'm actually pretty vulnerable and I do it in a way that's connecting to people. So even in the book, I share pretty vulnerable parts of my life and my story. And it's a little scary putting it out there. I'm not going to be honest, but I feel like it's hopefully more relatable and to understand we're all a work in progress and I'm human. And my old playlist, I talk about old and new playlists still will show up from time to time. And I still have to work that thing. Well, and I'm so happy to hear you say that because it's been a repetitive conversation on the show between men and women. And I think it's there just to give us that gentle nudge, you know, that little tap on our shoulder that we are still evolving. We are a work in progress. And I like the way that you frame that. And we can't be happy all the time, period. Let's just put a period there. Yeah, and I, and I, you know, I think what I'm really starting to appreciate is everything truly is happening. It's for, you may not understand why it's happening in the moment, but gosh, I think about all the sort of darker times in my life 
and how it's they're so valuable now, both from a perspective in coaching others, because it can relate to them when they go through those darker periods, but also even my book, the stories. I wouldn't have these amazing stories if I those things didn't happen to me, right? And, and or I, if I wasn't unhappy with leadership and going through a really frustrating time back in my late 20s, I wouldn't be in the profession I was today. So we can't always see what's happening to us in the moment and it's and it's usefulness decades later. Well, and when you deal and coach with the level of leaders that you and I do, we need to understand at a visceral level what emotional resilience is. And that comes from those transitionary periods and not just being able to listen at such a level where, like you said before, you're listening for the nuances, you're listening for what's not being said, you're listening for the emotion of the words that are being expressed. But when you're really, really listening, you can hear all the other things that go with that. So Mm -hmm. I just, I just love that. Okay, my third question is, using music is really a unique approach. And like you said, your eclectic background has brought you to these building blocks to the offering that you do today. Tell us how it's helping leaders to be more effective and and what made you just decide one day that you were going to intersect music? I guess because the process worked for me. (laughs) So I, after the, I had a breakup of a significant other and I couldn't seem to shake the sense of betrayal and resentment that I felt and feeling that I had wasted some very important years on this man who then realizing surely didn't deserve it, right? But I knew as a coach that this wasn't, this loop of resentment wasn't serving me. I mean, he he moved on, why couldn't I? And when nothing seemed to work, it would be like a match light and I would go down that path again. I turned to music and what I found is music really transformed me. It was the shortest, fastest way to shift state energetically and start building a new neural pathway. And so what I discovered after all the research and and really studying music's impact on the brain we have an old patterning and we can represent that by music so we can catch ourselves. And this is how it's used for leaders. Catch yourself when you're going down the eight lane highway to hell and interrupt the pattern with using music. And then you can create a new neural pathway and solidify it more quickly by using music because of its impact on the brain and how it lights up all regions of the brain, as you mentioned. And what's the go-to song for you? Oh gosh. So it's funny because music, you need to change up because the brain likes variety. So for the longest time, and there's still a place in my heart for it is Bruno Mars, 24 Karat Magic. That's a great song. Uh, Because it was the direct opposite of what I was feeling. It's like the party has started and here I am. And it would just light me up every time I, I think currently it's Lizzo's good as hell, like feeling good as hell. Yeah. And because I can just, you know, it just brings that joyfulness out in me. And when I practice the energetic resonance, joyfulness by listening to that song, then I'm continuing to practice and deepening a groove that I actually want to experience in my life. I love that. It's like 
when I'm running and my legs are tired, but my heart and my brain are like, come on, keep going. I'm right back in high school. I'm I'm the classic rock. I'm I'm right there with my ACDC and my Aerosmith and Bon Jovi. But I love what you said. We have to mix it up because our brain can become complacent. And that's how we can get these new neural pathways. When I'm really concentrating or writing or creating, there's nothing like a nice jazz playlist in the background. Yeah. Like we all have our different kind of favorites. It's And music is personal, right? So mm-hmm. I love that. Okay. Last leadership question. Really excited to hear your answer for this. What is the largest misconception people seem to have about their own leadership? I think that they just need to study more and be, you know, be like their favorite leader and they could just emulate. And it's a little bit more external focused leadership when the real work is what's going on inside. It's all inside. You shift the internal landscape the external landscape will shift. Or, you know, how do I get my voice heard better? You know, what are my strategies? It's all sort of external focus. Why is that showing up in your life to begin with? Like, that's where I want to go. That you even are in a circumstance that you have to have that. There's something deeper there. It's, I'm always interested when I'm working with someone new and they'll say, are we going to do some life coaching within our executive coaching? And I always laugh because I'm like, our life shows up in everything that we do. So how do we even segregate this? Yes, yes, right. And it's, you just framed it beautifully. You know, it's it's the intrinsic versus the extrinsic. And when you master the intrinsic, everything else is just a decision. Yes, right. So good. Okay, I'm going to switch to my fab four. These are just four rapid fun questions. We just want whatever's sitting on the top of that brilliant mind of yours. First question, if I approached your family and friends and I asked them to describe Susan in one word, what would that word be? Enthusiastic. (laughs) I I could see that. (laughs) What book, and you can't use your own, what book has changed your life? What age can you remember? Do you remember the book? Do you remember the title? And what impact did it have on you? Gosh, there's there's many, but I Art and Possibility, just a fabulous book um, about change your mind and you change your life. It's a good book. I I have actually read that book. That's a good book. Okay, third question. I am granting you a wonderful evening with a living leader that you look up to. Maybe you might even emulate, as you say. Who are you having dinner with and what is the conversation? Oh my gosh. Well, it does have to be a famous leader. No, I just said a leader, a living leader. Oh, yes. So Bill Adams, who's the CEO of Leadership Circle, um, he has been a mentor of sorts and he is just... He's, you know, approaching his 70s and he has such wisdom and heart. And to me, he's the best representation of a warm and strong and empathetic masculine figure. I love that. And what are you talking about at dinner? Gosh, uh, probably how, you know, what we've both overcome in our careers and some of his biggest lessons that he can share that he didn't realize, just like for me, what I didn't realize 
was actually going to be a benefit? What challenges did he experience that now are actually benefits so that if I encounter them, I can look at them with a different perspective? Well, and even the funness in in taking a leader's playbook, we're going to have some fun with language. And maybe every good playbook needs a good playlist. Yes. And what's his favorite song? Exactly. (laughs) That brings him joy. Exactly. Well, I have anxiously been awaiting this beautiful interview and it's so lovely to meet you. And we're going to let everybody know where they can get your new book in the episode description. And before you finish the the show with my last question, I just want to say it was a delight to meet you and I'm excited to receive your book and, and read it. Oh, great. Thank you so much. So my last question is to finish a sentence for me. Heart-centered leadership is deep connection. Thanks for joining me today on Imperfect, the Heart-Centered Leadership Podcast. I hope that you've enjoyed the show today and learned some new tools for your leadership from our amazing Heart-Centered guest. And if you like the show, we would welcome a rating and review on whatever platform you listen to. And we would love to have any comments or feedback at any time. And if you want some more heart-centered goodness, head over to our daily blog, masteringtheheart.com.